0: the University of Arizona Bio5 Institute, we bring together hundreds of multifaceted experts that include world class bioscientists, engineers, physicians, and computational researchers. This team science approach is designed to ignite creative solutions to the many complex biological challenges facing our families and communities and has resulted in disease prevention strategies, promising new therapies innovative diagnostics and devices, and improved food sustainability. Hello and welcome to another episode of Science Talks, a conversation hosted by the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. My name is Lisa Romero. And I'm Brittany Hulorn. From smartwatches to pacemakers, technology is essential in helping us lead happy, healthier lives. Some of this tech, though, can be bulky and a little intimidating, so creating inconspicuous devices that carry a big impact is at the forefront of tomorrow's life-changing innovations. Today, we are happy to be joined by Dr. Philip Gutroff, Assistant Professor of Biomedical Engineering and Bio5 member. Dr. Gutroff specializes in creating new kinds of wearable and implantable devices that seamlessly integrate with living systems to ultimately change the landscapes of health diagnostics and neuroscience. Dr. Gutriff,
1: thank you for joining us today.
2: Hey, great to be here.
1: So Dr. Gutriff, your research combines innovations in soft materials, Tonics and electronics to create novel devices. Um, So can you talk a little bit about how these types of advances are going to help us better understand how the brain works and how we can enable new treatments or cures for things like chronic pain, depression, epilepsy, um, things of that nature.
2: Yes. Yeah. So let me start by uh, taking a couple of steps back. So if you think about contemporary devices that integrate with the human body, like for example this smartwatch that I'm having on my my wrist, it's essentially a brick that's strapped to you. Right. The same applies also to, for example, a pacemaker. Right. It's this large, bulky stainless steel case uh, that you get implanted. And then the electrodes, they attach to your heart, the same applies also to to wearable devices, right? They get strapped to the body. So now one of the fundamental problems is that the, that our body is soft, right? The mechanics uh, are completely different. Um, and the way that our body sends information um, is also uh, very different to our most sophisticated um, uh, devices, CMOS circuits, uh, all kinds of microelectronics. Um, so what we are trying to do in, in my lab is to change the way that um, bioelectronics or in general uh, uh, devices that integrate with the body, um, that they feel and work to create a more intimate contact to the body. So that's kind of the baseline of most of our uh, devices. So one of the reasons why, uh, for example, a smartwatch is pretty bulky, uh, why a pacemaker needs to be that big um, or why brain interfaces you know, are, are pretty big cables and you need to penetrate your, your skull to get these devices in is um, uh, mainly because uh, the, the way that we power our devices um, relies on batteries um, and batteries are pretty big, right? That's not only a problem for biomedical devices, but for, for example, for cars and planes as well. So um, uh, what we are doing is we're taking these platforms that we try to make um, as uh, biology-like as possible, and we integrate them with means to power them remotely. So we use, for example, uh, electromagnetic waves that um, uh, cast power into devices um, or uh, wireless power transfer that uh, keeps these devices going 24 seven. So um, that's the the kind of technological foundation for most of our uh, devices um, in, in particular. Um, So now we have in in my group two streams of research. One is uh, uh, implantable systems. You talked a bit about um, the applications in the brain and in the uh, central and peripheral nervous system, so, um, uh, for example, the spinal cord, the brain um, and other nerves, uh, as well as uh, wearable devices um, that are non-invasive that are on the body but uh, still are in a very different form factor um, uh, and operation principle that you would usually expect from, from contemporary devices.
0: That's really exciting. Um- taking a step back even further, because I just think it's it's fascinating. Um, you know, when did you, you know, did your brain always comprehend that, you know, this technology would continue advancing and, you know, we would be able to think about having these types of applications, much less applications that actually really do move the needle, you know, on um, diagnostics and and prevention and, and, you know, potential help in managing um, diseases and, and disease states. I mean, ha, ha, talk, me, talk me through how sort of you came into thinking about doing this and what your training did to sort of incorporate that. And then I think also how you, you know, how you started off being committed to that, but technology changed so rap- rapidly and how, you know, how you see that sort of continuing to Um, you know, be used in your, in your professional path?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think in in general, the ideas are not necessarily new, right? If you look into science fiction, uh, you know, various kinds of books, I mean, that takes various form factors uh, depending on, on the authors, but um, the, the idea or dream is always that um, you have, you just go about your daily life and everything else happens, right? We can remotely tell uh, um, how you're feeling, what your current status of health is, right? And make diagnostics well in advance. Um, uh, So I think that the general dream of just not being interrupted um, with your with your tasks, with your uh, with what you're what you're doing daily, and not have to worry about healthcare. I mean, it's pretty much a burden, right? Nobody likes to go to the doctor. Nobody uh, you know likes to get their annual checkups done, and you know waste all of this time, but not waste, but you know uh, spend all of this time on on health maintenance, right? Um, the, the the best thing would be if this would all happen automatically. Now, obviously, technology um, needs to catch up. To this, and we need to find ways in order to interface with, with the body um, in a way that allows this seamless interaction. And so um, ma- maybe a little bit about my background. So I, uh, I come from Germany. Maybe you can see that from my name or hear it in my accent. Uh, that's where I grew up. Um, so my, my undergraduate degree was in sensors or so sensor system technology, um, uh, and I then proceeded to do a, a PhD in actually Australia. Um, to uh, that, that was electronic materials. So that was kind of my introduction into um, making devices stretch and bend. So there, I, I looked into, um, for example, oxide materials that allow us to make stretchable uh, sensors um, or photonic devices that uh, that can flex. Uh, so the the emphasis there was always to kind of um, Enable uh, current technology to be more compliant, mechanically compliant, to uh, be closer to um, uh, uh, human body mechanics, um, and then I proceeded to do a postdoc at uh, the John John Rogers Group um, in UIUC, uh, and then later on at Northwestern um, University, um, and, and that group, pretty much pioneered uh, some of the soft electronic approaches, um, and. and what I developed there is um, capabilities to interface with with the brain, for example, or collect um, uh, certain biomarkers from from the skin. So uh, that's my education where I come from. Uh, And now in my group, we really try to emphasize um, these technologies and and bring the unique um, experience in, in wireless electronics uh, to this um, uh, to this platform to enable very seamless interfaces. May that be for the central peripheral nervous system or also for wearable devices. The idea, the goal is, and we can partially do this already, um, that you go about your daily life and everything else happens. Um, uh, so, um, yeah.
0: I would love to not go to the doctor anymore to just get you know, <laughs> just get the basics measured and and to be able to predict that. I think that's what you know, people don't understand, they're, they're still, you know, give, giving giving that, they just have to go somewhere
2: to do
1: it. <laughs>
2: you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Go ahead, well, Brady. Thank you for taking us through your, you know, education. It's really clear to see how all these different bits and pieces, how they've kind of helped form what you're doing in your lab um, currently, and how you've kind of moved with the trends and that nature. And I know you mentioned a lot of different fields, like Photonics and optics and sensors and electronics and but all, you know we're also talking about the human body and the brain. Um, so it's clear your work is very interdisciplinary, which is you know exactly at the heart of what we're all about at bio five so i'm also just curious, do you find yourself collaborating with people from other disciplines, a lot to be able to bring in that expertise to uh, help you know inform how you make your devices.
2: Of course, yeah. It, it, this is essential, right? Um, I'm, I'm in biomedical engineering; is my home department. So, um, it, it it is really important. Or the the possibilities, especially here at the University of Arizona, really help us to do our research well, right? We're, we're just a couple of steps away from the hospital. So, just to give you one example, why that's super important, um, we have uh, this new device class class we call um, osseous surface electronics. So these are Um, Thin electronic sheets of paper, you can think about this as uh, it's literally as as thick as a piece of paper these devices they allow us to uh, capture a lot of information about bone health. Um, uh, And we can grow them onto the bone to form this permanent interface power them wirelessly and we extract the data also completely wirelessly now. uh, the, the initial in, impulse uh, came actually from a conversation just after I started, maybe two three days or so after I started here at the University of uh, of Arizona a couple of years back um, uh, where uh, folks from uh, the the med school had um, research projects where they laminated strain gauges onto the bone in order to understand, um, bone health or bone regeneration, uh, various kinds of mechanisms uh, on a fundamental level. Um, now, they always would have loved to have uh, this in a form factor that allows them to take these measurements all the time, uh, because that can really inform how we can do therapeutics, for example. It really informs our basic understanding of, uh, of how uh, bone health um, uh, how bone health works in general, right? There is no means of doing uh, these measurements right now continuously, because if you have wires attached, you can imagine, right, there's a large infection risk so you can do only momentary studies for, for a relatively short amount of time. So. Um, uh, this is really where we can then come in and bring our expertise in soft electronics um, and wireless power transfer to then create devices that are, you know, only that that big, um, you know, uh, two post stamps or so um, that you can then laminate onto the bone um, and, and get that data. So yeah, it, this wouldn't be possible if all of these people wouldn't be in very close proximity. We can make devices walk directly over uh, to the hospital and, and, and get them tested. So um, really, you know, being able to interact with um, uh, clinician scientists, and also clinicians to get this direct input for the clinical need uh, for our for, for these devices, and then be able to react quickly um, uh, to you know current ongoing trends. Um, is is really important and that's what uh, Bio5 certainly facilitates and in, uh, in general the University of Arizona.
0: I remember um a few years back when, when did you come to U of A? I can't remember when you started.
2: It's maybe three and a half years ago. Yeah
0: yeah I think it close when you started. I, I I don't I mean I remember sitting in a meeting and you were not there and it was it was re- related it was some of our brain researchers and, um, you know, they were doing some brainstorming about um, some potential content for a big grant they were putting in at the time. And I remember, I think you had just started. Um, and one of them just all of a sudden was, oh, wait, I know somebody that just started at the University of Arizona that's doing some work with songbirds um, that could potentially, you know, play into this grant and, and how, you know, how it applies to to you know, ways that we can help, you know, get data on brain and 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 just integrate into this. And I, I mean, of course, at the time I I had no idea, you know, what um, they were referring to, and they didn't even know a lot about it. But I think it's absolutely fascinating, and I think you've gone a little bit further with that project. So can you tell us a little bit about that and
2: yes, somebody yeah.
0: that somebody that has, uh, you know, brain disease in in my family very significantly that. Uh, Novel ideas like that are are pretty incredible. So I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Yes. Yeah. This is also a project that kind of grew here at the University of Arizona, because we have researchers just across campus that work with these very rare animal models. So, uh, you know, relatively not 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 you know, uh, usually available. And those are songbirds. It's the only animal model that allows us to study how uh, we acquire speech in small animal models, right? And how uh, the brain kind of uh, deals with learning and also vocalization of of speech. Um, As you can imagine, if you've seen songbirds, right? There's maybe this size, right? They're tiny. (laughs) So uh, typical instruments that we have currently to, to probe what's going on in the brain, Um, They're bulky, Uh, they don't allow the birds to move around freely, and that is a big problem for songbirds, um, because they don't sing if they're not happy, (laughs) and if they're not, uh, uh, you know, in in their usual environment. But it's essential for them to practice their song, they learn it from their parents, and they use it then in order to find their mate, um, which we can use the cycle in order to understand how the brain works um, uh, when it comes to, to speech. Um, And so, when when I arrived here, um, some people knew about the the work that I've done beforehand, uh, being able to create these tiny electronics devices that operate without any wires associated with it, that have no uh, real mass associated with them as well, Um, and and, and, uh, um, uh, we figured out that we could actually make photonic interfaces to the the brain that allow us to modulate certain um, uh, neuronal groups uh, that are important or that they suspected are important for um, uh, language formation. And so uh, this project is actually published um, uh, just um, fairly recently, uh, maybe half a year back, Um, where we could demonstrate for the first time to have these freely flying untethered animals uh, where we can modulate the song. So we we showed, for example, if you uh, um, modulate certain uh, um, uh, neuron groups in the brain, you can shift the the pitch of that song up or down depending on on modulation. So um, that that is a tool that's now available for the scientific community to um, really try to understand how uh, the brain acquires um, uh, language.
1: Wow, it's incredible that your research, I mean, it's clear your research has so many applications, you know, and it, it touches so many different models as well. So it's neat to see that that collaboration across the university takes you all the way from looking at thin devices for bones to looking at pitch and songbirds. Um, it's just clear how wide your your impact is. And I kind of want to touch on even more of your impact and switch gears a bit away from research. Um, So I know you also routinely teach a couple of courses in like medical device design um, and biomedical engineering research. So I want to know if you could speak to us a bit about you know your passion for educating future biomedical engineers and you know maybe tell us what what are some of the biggest lessons that you like to pass on to your students.
2: Yes, yeah I this is this is a um, actually quite a complex question because I try to really diversify the way that um, I teach uh, biomedical engineering to uh, to students, so there is the, the traditional course component and what we could recently uh, do is we had. Um, the possibility to build a completely new facility that allows us to teach. Uh, uh, students' hands-on skills in biomedical device design. So um, uh, this was enabled by uh, by some um, uh, really generous donors the Salters that allowed us to to build this particular center. It's in in Ame. Um, uh, when you walk past the. Uh, the courtyard, you'll definitely see it. So this allows us to, for example, um, do electronics, mechanics, chemistry, and biology, all hands-on, all-in-one uh, um, uh, building. So it's really engineering paradise for biomedical engineers. Um, so, so that was, uh, or that is uh, one, one um, uh, project of mine. Um, I, I currently teach the uh, BME 310, which is the uh, Biomedical Device Design course, and there we really emphasize Um, not only designing, so we we go over clinical need, for example, and and what devices need to look like in order to really have impact, Um, but we also build them physically. So these students come up with with prototypes for devices um, that they create completely from scratch, electronics, uh, mechanics, uh, photonics. Um, We have a competition at the end of the course. um, Last year's uh, uh, focus was, Um, uh, prepare for the next pandemic so they had to come up with uh, you know what's most likely to going to happen again (laughs) and come up with devices that um, allow us to mitigate the um, uh, the devastating impact of of these particular events so um, we came they came up with really cool devices that manage for example stress of first responders or that manage um, uh, well-being of, of people that are isolated uh, because of this. So uh, that, that's really engaging um, and also really cool to see the creativity of these uh, fresh young minds. <laughs> so so that is that is one, one of the courses that I teach. Um, but I also uh, make sure that I have a lot of undergraduate students participating in our research. Um, this is what motivated me. Uh, maybe a, a quick background uh, story. To um, how I got started in science, I I didn't set out to uh, to do a PhD. Actually, this is something that I kind of walked into. <laughs> um, uh, I I I was able to. Or I, I traveled a lot um, when I was uh, when I was younger, and I was always motivated to find. Um, kind of new opportunities and places uh, to experience, new cultures to experience. Um, And during my undergraduate uh, research, there was this opening in Australia that um, uh, allowed me to do research. And beforehand, I haven't actually done research. It was this opportunity that was a a, a kind of a funded scholarship that allowed you to travel there, uh, do research uh, for a year um, and and use that as uh, in Germany, you have to write like a mini thesis for for your bachelor's degree. Um, and so I did that, and really enjoyed this. I had um, this clean room uh, basically available whenever I wanted to, um, and the supervisor w- were were fairly hands off, and they told me, "Okay, we would like to have the sensor and it should be stretchable. Find out a good way to do this." Um, and, and so I, I um, you know, really got interested in 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 the process of science, um, and and that really allowed me to, for the first time, to really. St- um, you know, accelerate uh, uh, my learning as well as my output um, by completely driving uh, you know my day uh, by myself and explore. So um, that's how I got to get started in um, in in science. Beforehand, that wasn't my intention. I didn't really you know uh, uh, tailor my academics uh, towards um, uh, you know continuing uh, there. I, I probably thought that I wanted to go to industry, but this was really a turning point for me. So I want to open the same opportunities to undergraduate students um, here at the University of Arizona. So we have a lot of undergrads participating in research projects. At the moment, um, I think we're well over over 10 or 15 undergraduate students in in my lab at at this point in time. And they all contribute to to projects. We had um, actually a couple of students that really um, used this chance to accelerate their own career. For example, we had um, an astronaut scholarship recipient um, in, in my lab. Um, that was on several high impact papers and uh, he he really was able to build up uh, quite a bit of knowledge in um, finite element simulation in order to uh, simulate electromagnetics as well as mechanics for these type of devices that we build. Um, There was also uh, a student that now is uh, the first, um, let me see if I got that right, Um, the first Hispanic or Latina, uh, Latinx, Latina, that uh, got the uh, Oxford uh, um, uh, Scholarship, also Oxford Fellows, I think it uh, that the name was. So um, uh, I think she, she was uh, for, for a couple of years in my group as well. So um, in, in general, I really enjoy these, um, these success stories by uh, opening up the group, enabling them to do actual research, uh, being able to get on papers to really contribute to the work that we do um uh, to kind of spark uh that curiosity um in in the next generation like like it happened for me so
0: that's uh probably one of the best um examples <laughs> and i will still that for people i talk to in the future about um you know we we have a lot of visitors and a lot of people we talk to about bio5 and and the nature of what we do and our what our our, our incredible researchers do but um, you know something that that dr barton um uh, the director of bio five believes very strongly in and we all articulate as often as possible is this uh you know many people i think see uh a research mission and an education mission at a university as sort of um parallel but separate tracks right like i mean they're 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 you know a lot of people assume they're for two different endpoints and you know, at Bio 5, what our goal is, is to blend those two things, um, you know, instead of having them run parallel to each other as goals, we merge that into a goal. And I think you described that beautifully, you know, in terms of the impact it can make in both areas, right? It It is better for educating our students to have hands-on opportunities to sink or swim, like you, you got, and now you're giving back. Um, you know, my one of my favorite scenes that isn't exactly uh, probably politically correct, but is fake it till you make it. You know, you 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 learn and then you you know, right? But you have to learn first, and um, you you know, you've you've provided that opportunity for so many students, and in turn, like you said, their creativity furthers furthers your research, furthers other research. Perhaps they go into something else, but um, you know, your merging of those two goals has enabled them to do that so that's very cool
2: yeah i, I think also the for example the keys program we had uh, key students uh, over, over the summer um, they actually uh, this particular student that was in that we mentored in keys is now uh you know back in the group uh, doing research with us as well I think that's not a, a unique occurrence right that happens all the time I think you know opening um students it, it, you know studying can be quite, quite dry, uh, quite theory heavy sometimes. Um, and it's easy to get lost um, in the coursework, right? Um, and kind of also lose the reason why we do this in the first place. And if you if you have these hands-on projects that allow you to really experience, okay, it's important that I learn this Fourier transformation because I actually need it, you know? Um, uh, th- that was always something that um, motivated me to, to get through the coursework in order to, um, uh, you know, to be a better engineer in the end. That's
1: exciting. Well, so. I want to, you know, this has been a wonderful conversation. I want to end with one final question, something a little more lighthearted. Um, so we like to think of our scientists as superheroes. So if you were a superhero, and we're not talking about a scientific superhero, if you were a an, an regular superhero, what would your superpower be?
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty tricky question uh, um, it, it, that there is um I, I i think you know i i really like to um explore opportunities as they they come along um and uh, also leaving a little bit of room uh, to uh, kind of act in the moment um, and not have everything super planned out is sometimes actually quite helpful uh, for creativity. So uh, I, I think one of my superpowers is just to act quickly on opportunities uh, that present themselves in the in in the moment. Um, and I think we talked about two examples where um, this was very much uh, uh, um, the the reason why these particular projects came into existence um, uh, very very quickly as well. So um, I, I think that that would probably be my superpower.
0: Well, I, I think your you're super that sums it up very well, and I think um, those combine to uh, really serve as a foundation for your work that really is going to um, change and and save and and help many lives and aspects of, of health and disease. So um, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for the mentorship you provide to our students, and and thank you for joining us today. We really, yeah, enjoyed, pleasure. really enjoyed talking to you um, and uh, hope to do so again soon. So, And thank right, you to excellent. our listeners for joining us for another episode of Science Talks. For more information, please visit our website at bio5.org. From all of us at the Bio5 Institute, we'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Science Talks.
0: Continue the conversation with us next time as we learn more about the amazing science happening at the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute.